0: Once again, my name's Gabe, and I'm happy to be here this morning. It's a privilege for me to, to be here, standing here, and um, attempting to make sense. Um, if I feel like, if, if, if you look at me, and it, 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 um, I feel somewhat like I'm squinting. It's because I am. Um, The the lights, we can't help it, are just kind of really just shining bright. So I'm going to have to find that one person that I can focus on. And so if if that's you, don't take it personally. (laughs) I'm not pointing you out. But um, again, it's a privilege for me to be here this morning. And again, welcome to our guests. Um, September 1 of this year will mark... uh, 27 years of marriage, Trish and and me. Um, Thank you. You may not want to have applauded until you hear the end of the story. (laughs) Well, you certainly can applaud Trish. But 27 years, uh, married in September. But that was the marriage that almost never was. And uh, that's because... Um, when I first met this beautiful, exuberant young woman, um, I let 30 days go by without even much as a hello on the telephone. And those of you who remember Harvey and Sally Herman, who, who uh, were part of our community for some years, and actually Sally was on staff here, um, they were the ones that brought us together. And uh, Sally was not happy with me that I let 30 days go by without contacting this wonderful woman of God. Well, I was motivated because a friend of mine, a close friend of mine who happens to be a pastor, asked me, Gabe, have you asked Trish out yet? And I said, no, sheepishly. And he said to me, Gabe, you're an idiot call her. And so I did. And the rest is, as they say, history. But it was three months into our dating life. It uh, was around December. And Trish was going to be flying to South Dakota to be with her family for the holidays. We were living in Seattle at the time. And um, so a good boyfriend that I am, I took her to Seattle. And this was before 9-11, when you could go uh, to the gate with, uh, with, um, with the passengers. And so I kept company with her at the gate until they called her uh, to board the plane, three months into our dating relationship. So, there are a number of good ways and appropriate ways to say goodbye to the girlfriend who's going to leave you for two weeks. One of the ways is probably like holding hands and giving her a kiss as, as they call her, and looking longingly at her as she leaves. <laughs> Maybe another way is to, to offer a, a warm embrace, and then a, an appropriate kiss, and say goodbye. Well, <laughs> I didn't do any either of those. Instead, I reached my left hand out, and I tapped her on the shoulder and said, See you when you get back. <laughs> the, the look on her face was priceless. And it's a wonder that she actually agreed to, to be my wife of 27 years. Today we're talking about emotional intelligence. Well, wait a minute. Not intelligence, which is what I needed, but emotional health and emotional maturity. I want to begin by reading a quote from... Dr. Eric Johnson, a psychologist who is a Christian, he wrote that the Holy Spirit creates new possibilities for finite and fragmented humanity. The Holy Spirit creates new possibilities for finite and fragmented humanity. That's us. He creates new and um, new possibilities to restore communion with our Creator: love, joy and peace in conflicted societies, thinking, feeling, acting, and loving that is gradually integrated into lives, becoming whole, holy, and centered around God. Causing a degree, this is a lengthy quote, causing a degree of unity and harmony to emerge out of conflict, competition, and opposition, impossible to gain by ourselves. The Holy Spirit unifies human souls and relationships and cultures, overcoming chaos and rebellion and transforms the sinner into a new self in Christ. This comes from the book God and Soul Care, the therapeutic resources for the Christian faith. I'm sure you're all going to run out and, and go buy a copy. It's about that thick. One of the buzz phrases and ideas that has been trending in the last probably 20 years and gaining popularity is uh, this notion of emotional intelligence. How many of us have heard of it? How many of us belong to organizations that actually employ uh, emotional intelligence uh, um, practices? Uh, Some organizations will have you sit through through a seminar or an assessment to test how your emotional intelligence is. And it's been very successful for a lot of companies. The dictionary of psychology defines emotional intelligence this way. It's the capability of, of of individuals to recognize their own emotions and those of others, discern between different feelings, and label them appropriately use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior, which is something I didn't do when I said goodbye to Trish at the airport, and manage and or adjust emotions to adapt to environments or achieve one's goals. That's a mouthful. That's what emotional intelligence is, according to the dictionary of psychology. Well, I think that as a consequence of this trend, there's been a kind of a, a rise in awareness on emotional health or emotional maturity. Perhaps you've heard, um, it's commonly seen in, for example, in the practices of mindfulness that, um, that our education and our healthcare systems have been employing to help uh, students learn better and to help patients um, better cope with their illnesses. Uh, but the point is, we are more aware today, I think, than ever before about these kinds of things, and all the men say amen. I tease you, I I know I'm generalizing, but my good friend Chester, when we are doing the training for Stephen Ministry, and we're doing the module on feelings, yours, mine, and theirs, um, this is his favorite one, as he'll tell you, because he's such a man of feeling. And I say that with tongue firmly planted in cheek. and, uh, and, and Chester will go on to explain that typically, you know the male species is not as open and honest about emotions as the female species, and I think that's a cultural maybe it's a biological thing. I'm not sure. But we, we are much more aware, aware today of emotions and emotional health. And I think even more aware, because I feel like in today's society, the bonds that that once held us together are are coming apart. It feels that way. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it feels that society is just at the phrase And, and all the more the need to attend to, you know, this thing called emotional health and maturity. And does scripture have anything to say about emotional maturity. Now, not directly, and our, our scripture does not use the language of emotional intelligence or emotional health, but I can tell you, and I, and I believe that the scripture has much to say. When the, when, when the scripture addresses our growing in Christ, what we call sanctification, if we can use a big church word, the process of becoming more and more like Christ. I'm um, not losing our own identities, but our ident- identities are growing into our primary identity as children of God. So the Bible does address this, although it may not label it emotional maturity or mo- emotional health. It is an outgrowth of our sanctification, but it's not automatic. I sit with patients when I serve as a chaplain at UVA at the hospital, patients who have been um, people of faith for most of their lives, but but are are at a place of disorientation with regard to their faith because they have never really considered how how God is present in their distress emotionally. In fact, we've heard things like, it's not good to be sad. Um, it's not good to be angry. All of these negative emotions, we've been told we should not have them. And I think that that's why church people sort of have ignored it, and why when I'm with people of faith in the hospital who are dealing with um, some very serious and profound issues, they, are, they come to face-to-face with all the feelings that they're not supposed to have. I remember one woman who was probably in her 70s, she was faithful Christian, good Baptist all of her life. And I could tell that she was, she was not able to, to engage me very well as I interrogated her. Interrogation is not the right word. But as I, as I sat with her and, and tried to help her to use the resources of her faith, to help her. And initially, she kept throwing out phrases, well, you know, God's in control. I just need to let go and let God, you know, these bumper stickers that we get used to uttering. But I knew that, that was, those were just bumper stickers covering something up. And so I kind of inquired a little bit further, and I, I feel like I was led by the Spirit to do so. You have to be responsible with these things. You can't just try to get people to cry just because you feel like you've done your job as a chaplain <laughs> I, I had 10 people cry today <laughs> I'm qualified to be board certified now <laughs> and uh, she struggled and I could sense that and uh, she, I'd forgotten what she was dealing with but it was significant and she wasn't processing her emotions this is a faithful churchgoer And finally, I I had the courage enough to ask, number one, can you name what you're feeling right now? And she started crying. But it wasn't sadness she was feeling. She started weeping. And I asked her, what are the tears about? And she said, I'm angry. And I said, I asked her, with whom are you angry? And she, with all everything she can muster, uttered the word God. I'm angry with God. I've been faithful all my life to him. I've taught my children. I've raised them up in the church. I give. I've served in the church and ministry. And this is what I get. Because you have been faithful in all of these things does not necessarily mean that you've processed that part of who you are in a good way. I also sit with people who collapse at the loss of one thing or another, who collapse into rubble. Christians, because they've never truly processed in a healthy way their emotions. So, the Bible does have something to say. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God, through Moses, Instructed, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Heart and soul. These encompass our emotional selves, and we are to love God with them. And when we come to the place of prayer, or come to the gathered community, we bring that with us. And if, if, if there's one goal I have today, that is to raise awareness that this is what we bring to the table. And, and I want to admonish us to, to resist compartmentalizing ourselves into mental, emotional, physical beings. It's all integrated. It's just an absurdity to try to compartmentalize what can't be compartmentalized. So why does this actually matter to anyone else but me? (laughs) It's my job. (laughs) Well, it does matter as much as any other aspect of our growth and our maturity in Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, said this, Chapter four. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, their responsibility, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This is one among several verses in Scripture that addresses what it means to be mature. Emotionally mature keeps us from being vulnerable, to lies, I heard a statement on Christian radio some time ago, and it was interesting. The, the announcer said that if you don't know who you are in Christ, then the enemy will tell you who you are. And a way to to be strengthened and not vulnerable to those lies is to grow in Jesus and to become more emotionally mature. So here's my thesis. Finally, I'm getting to my thesis, and uh, I'm on good time. Emotion maturity is engendered through the development of the fruit of the Spirit, as indicated in Galatians 5, 23 But before we get to the passage, I want to do a brief review from recent sermons on the Holy Spirit's role. We are, remember, in this series called Life in the Spirit. And there is a relevant connection. But I want to review. So in the first week of this series, Pastor Pete took us to Genesis and led us through the creation narrative and uh, helped us understand the role of the Spirit in the creation narrative. When the earth was without form and void of anything, the Spirit we see hovers as God now calls into calls formation, calls form into the earth and calls nature or creation to fill the earth. The Spirit's activity is one of hovering and being part of that. He realizes or actualizes or actualized creation. We also learn from Pastor Pete that the Holy Spirit actualizes, realizes the incarnation that is, Christ's coming in the flesh through Mary, his mother. The Spirit actualized the conception of Christ within Mary, who had been earlier visited visited by an angel to let her in on God's plans. And then we heard from pastors Keith and Pete that the Holy Spirit inaugurated, activated, actualized the church in the book of Acts. And we are here today, you and I, because of what occurred then. We see the Holy Spirit's activity in the gathered believers on the day of Pentecost, empowering them, sorry, I'm glad I didn't eat breakfast this morning because you'd have been a target of whatever that was. um, Empowering them to give witness of God's goodness and grace. And we can read the story in Acts chapter um, 2, and we see what the Holy Spirit began as he inaugurated the church. So the Spirit of God realizes and actualizes God's plan for humanity. And today I'm going to advance the idea that the Holy Spirit actualizes Christ-likeness, which encompasses emotional maturity in the believer. In God and So Care, Dr. Johnson asserts that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate cause of what he calls ethical holiness, or ethical spiritual holiness. Captured in verses like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote, as for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. He's writing to the Thessalonians. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Holy Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. And in Peter, 1 Peter 1, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit made you holy. Your spirit sets us apart. For among other things. Including to live a life that glorifies God. The Westminster Catechism, the shorter version, says, you know, my purpose is to to glorify, to worship and glorify God. I paraphrase that. I'm not a good Presbyterian. I'm not sure what I'm good at. But our purpose is to, to worship and to glorify God forever. And the Spirit sets us apart to be able to do that. Johnson goes on to say, as a result, the mission of the Spirit also involves the healing of brain function, cognition, emotion, relational patterns, and so on. This is important because for for many, many, many years, the church has been resistant to, the, to this activity of healing in people's lives, the healing of brain function, of cognition, of emotions. We have been resistant because because it's, it's the kind of thing that we can't put under the microscope, for the most part. And we can't see. And so we assign all kinds of other things to it. And, and we are comfortable with what we don't understand. And so we've been resistant to Christian counseling. Some people think that that's an oxymoron. But God uses the agency of Christian counselors and therapists and doctors, including physicians as an agency of healing, I want us to resist stigmatizing counseling. When it's done in a a biblical and prayerful manner, it is good. So we're talking about the relationship of the Spirit to the emotional, healthy believer. This morning, we're going to consider this connection by viewing Paul's teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. Finally, we're going to get to our verse. And it should be coming up on the screen so Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 23 and i'm reading from the new living translation so i say let the holy spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants and the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are under no obligation to the law of Moses. And I'm going to skip the the list of vices and go right to the fruit. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, the, the life of vice, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Some of you are looking at me curious as to how I'm going to weave the fruit of the Spirit into this notion of emotional um, maturity. And I stand here curious myself, so let's see where we go. So what's going on in the Galatian church? Just a bit of background. There's been some dissension. Dissension that came as a result of um, a significant significant element of people in the Galatian church that were insisting that Gentiles who came to faith um, needed to be um, uh, circumcised, is, is the word, in order for them to, to be fully members of the church. And now the Jews, um, this is a very significant practice. It, it started 14 generations prior to this time with Abraham. And the circumcision was a mark of, of God's covenant with his covenant people. And it was, uh, of course, a very um, well, it was, it was a distinct mark. And uh, the the new Christian believers, the Jewish Christian believers, were incorporating works of the law into and creating conditions for what it means to participate in salvation. Uh, But Paul, an expert in the law, and a member of the Pharisee party himself, reacted strongly against these elements, um, because he believed, as we understand from his letters, that salvation came through Christ, came by Christ through faith alone, and nothing, nothing added to that. Paul wrote earlier in chapter 5, So Christ has truly set you free. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. If we add conditions to salvation, then Christ is of no benefit to us. So this is what Paul was dealing with as he's talking about the the fruit of the Spirit. So... Let's delve in. The fruit of the Spirit. Some of you will have those notes. They were provided in the version Bible. You might be um, looking at them right now. This is what I'm going to be going off of. Um, And we hope to finish in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, Love is listed among the first of the fruit. And love is, in distinction from the other fruit, is something that Paul has something to say about in other places, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, otherwise known as the love chapter. And this is what Paul, his understanding, his theology of what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what love looks like in the person who is developing in their emotional maturity. Joy. Joy is about having an exuberance about life and enjoyment and delight in someone else. Remember, the fruit, none of the fruit makes sense in isolation or outside of the setting of relationships, none of it. Which is why it's connected to emotional health. Joy in emotional maturity is being able to live with gratitude and optimism. Gratitude and optimism. Count your many blessings. Some of the old school folks in here know this song. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. That is the normal life of the believers to be optimistic and grateful. There are a good many things to not be grateful about. But that that is what sets us apart as a people of God. We are people of gratitude, joy. Joy comes through gratitude. Peace, peace is wholeness and calm. It's sort of like the picture of a child sleeping in her mom's lap or dad's lap. You know that picture? They're just so at rest and there's not a care in the world. And that is what peace, biblical peace is. In emotional maturity, it's being able to remain grounded and centered in God's goodness no matter the external circumstances. There's a story about a about a ruler in the kingdom that wanted uh, wanted to, to hang on his wall a good depiction of what peace looked like so he commissioned he sent out uh, an open commission to all the artists in the land to come up with the with the the, the one painting the one picture that that depicts what peace is and when the day of when they came for them to reveal all the, the paintings, the pictures, uh, there are very many good ones, and there are many pictures that depicted what you expected peace to look like, you know, green pastures and quiet, you know, these kinds of things. But the one that caught the attention of the ruler was the one that, where on the on the the, the canvas, there's a painting of. What was prominent about it was this raging waterfall, just raging with water coming down, and it was just chaos all over the place. And and the skies were dark and, and cloudy and stormy. But right in the center of the picture, coming out from the waterfall, was this branch, and on the branch was this nest, and on the nest was this bird, just hovering over her chicks, unaffected by everything that, that went around. And this is the painting that won the day. Peace is not the absence of chaos, necessarily. But peace is being grounded and being calm and being assured of God's presence in the midst of chaos. That's what peace is. And that's biblical peace. Kind, uh, patience. Uh, emotional, in emotional maturity, patience is possessing the unswerving willingness, and you don't have to scramble for this, the notes are in, on U uh, version, the unswerving willingness to wait rather than trying to force outcomes. Boy, we are so good at forcing outcomes, aren't we? We are s- such control. And in patience, as an outgrowth of love, views others with grace we often are impatient with others and times we're impatient with ourselves and we need we need to ask god to help us with that kindness in emotional maturity is having an active desire to be compassionate useful and practical for someone else Goodness in emotional maturity is living into the golden rule according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Do to others whatever you want them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do to others whatever you would have them do to you. The golden rule. Slightly less than the golden rule is the silver rule that says don't do to others what you wouldn't have them do to you. And that's okay too. You know, I, I would resist poking my brother with a stick if I wanted him not to poke me back. But the golden rule is golden because it's active. It's doing something. And that's what makes us good and mature in Christ. Um, Faithfulness in emotional maturity is having the capacity to be loyal in friendships or in relationships. And these kinds of relationships, loyal relationships are rugged they stand the test of time, they're not fragile. That's how you know that you're exercising faithfulness. And this is what the sense of faithfulness is here. It, it, um, it's about relationships. Gentleness in emotion maturity is about not needing to force one's way into life or push one's way into the line. When gentleness is present, judgmentalism is absent. And finally, self-control. In emotional maturity, this is being able to marshal and direct our energies wisely and to make choices that are difficult to make when it comes to self-gratification. That is, self-control helps us not give in to impulsivity. The fruit of the Spirit. So how do we develop this? Two things, quickly. Develop your intimacy with God. I know you know this. I know this. And we beat ourselves up all the time. When we say, well, I miss my quiet time today. But I can't stress this enough. There is no substitute for spending time with Jesus. Intimate time with him. Through prayer, talk with him. You know what's helpful? Use the, use the Psalms as a way to help you pray. Pray the Psalms and I guarantee you, you will find that your time with him will be more intimate and more rewarding. Spend time alone with him, go into a solitude, uh, solitary place and away from others and distractions. Spend time also in silence. Listen, don't do all the talking. Allow God, by His Spirit, to turn the noise down in your life and listen to Him through the Scriptures, through music, through creation. Secondly, this is important, and Pastor Keith Keith, um, hit on this last week, Enter to community. We are not meant to do life, do this journey alone. We are not. And I'm, believe it or not, I am a naturally, I'm naturally an introvert. And my natural inclination is to be isolated. Because I just like it that way. It's not that I don't like people. I love people. I love parties and all that, but they drain me. And I, I rather sometimes, most times, be alone. But that's not the life of the believer. The life of the believer is the life in community. If you're not connected to a life group, please, please, please take some steps and actions to connect to a life group. And Pastor Keith is your man. And he will happily find a place for you, for a community group for you to belong to. A uh, professor of theology I had many years ago said this, that, um, that one can never experience the fullness of what it means to be a Christian if one lives in isolation from other Christians. We need the community. We need we need also the support of the community in those moments when we need support, when we're grieving loss or some other change in life. And I'm going to put a plug in for Stephen Ministry right now. Yes! Mike! An up-and-coming Stephen Minister. There are going to be those moments when we just need to lean on somebody to keep us company when we're when we're experiencing some kind of challenge in our lives. And the Stephen ministers are available to you to help walk with you. They're trained, 50 plus hours of training to learn how to keep good company. And I would want to invite you that if you or someone you know could use a Stephen minister right now, please let myself um, or Chester Yuan know. Um, We have a table out in the foyer, and we'd like to hear from you and connect you with somebody that can be a support to you. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. So with the current cultural emphasis on emotional intelligence and emotional health, I believe that the church should be in the forefront, don't you, of this? Because we are his kids. We are the children of God who designed us with all of this. And we are the children of the God who works redemptively to shape us into people who are useful for others and who will advance his agenda for the kingdom of God. I believe, and this may seem risky for me to say, but I believe that an emotionally healthy believer is, can be much more an effective witness for Christ than one who is not. I just believe that because that too is, a, is how we shine bright. And, I, and I'm, I'm aware that there are some of you here this morning for whom this message was probably not easy to hear because you may be in a place that's not so great right now. I'm aware of that and I want to be sensitive to that. It doesn't mean that you're not a witness to Christ. It does not. We are going to experience the difficulties. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But the, the 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 deal is this Jesus is there, we're walking toward him if we fall, we fall forward we get up and we continue in the right orientation we have room to make mistakes but I do believe that the church needs to be in the forefront of this I think we need to be much more aware and open to praying for people's emotional state and not labeling something else because we don't understand because it's very rarely ever helpful. But if you help somebody understand what they're going and what they're going through and what they're feeling, then that, that's very helpful. So the world offers what it does, and it's okay and it's good. But absent of the reference to the Holy Spirit, these strategies will come up short. So um, what I would invite you to do now is just Remain seated, but I'd like you to take the posture of prayer. And uh, I know this sounds old school, but I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes, because I would like to ask this question of those who may be here, um, for whom this message or any message at church doesn't seem to fit where you are right now in life. Why, because you've never taken the steps to open the door of your heart and life to Christ, our Savior. And I'd like you to make some indication of that. If that's you, if you've never experienced, if you never had, if you never opened your heart and life to Jesus, I would like you to indicate that by a quick slipping of your hands. And um, let me know if that's you because I'd like to lead in prayer today. And then, of course, um, the prayer team. I would like to invite them to go ahead and be ready to provide ministry. For those of you, if this touched you in any way, touched the nerve, um, I would like you to. I would like to encourage you that the prayer team is ready um, to minister to you and to offer prayer on your behalf. The worship team will be leading us uh, in another song called as Well, and I want you to be reflective about that as you sing it, but before I go, I want to say this, and would you stand? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.
1: Never gonna, land. Never gonna land.
2: we go that you will make us aware, Lord, of your presence. We exalt you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and pour out our praise. Ask us in Jesus' name.